This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 183 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We are two weeks out from football season and on this week's pod, we're going to finish our gut check of the schedule and round out the position group previews. So let's go ahead and jump right on in with the November gut check of games. We've got home on the 4th of November versus James Madison, the 11th of November senior day hosting Appalachian State for the last game at Center Park Stadium of the 2023 season. Then the Panthers head on the road on the 18th to face LSU and then close the regular season on the 25th of November at Old Dominion. So gentlemen, thoughts on these final four regular season games? I feel like we don't need to do the thing again with the senior day being two weeks out the second straight season, but we'll mention it just, it is kind of sucky for the players um, ending at home, especially not ending with two straight on the road. Certainly it would be better just as a, you know, pure enjoyment factor, spreading out the games for the fans a little bit also, but what you going to do? Delaying it because I think you look at this first three games in November and it's a tough stretch, even though two of them are at home. James Madison came up and won the conference, even though they didn't win the conference as an FCS ineligible team to do so. The same is the case this year, but I mean, I still think if they can figure out replacing Todd Santeo at quarterback, they're going to be a good team. They bring a lot back. They bring, I think, their entire offensive line back. So it's a home game. That helps. It's a team that you played close last year and kind of let a big second half lead go away. So it's not like I'm saying it's an impossible task, but as long as they can get just like middle of the road quarterback play, it does feel like another year where they're going to be solid. It does. And I mean, middle of the road quarterback play, they're getting a power five transfer. So that usually tends to help. Um, I, we don't know who is starting out of there's a little bit of a quarterback competition, but but, you know, obviously, by the time the game start that when that game is being played, we'll know if Jordan okay. McLeod or probably we will probably know if we don't <laughs> I'm revise that and say that everything's fine. And Georgia State's got a good because if November, if the quarterback controversy is still going on, then a lot has gone wrong. Hey, I mean, we've seen Sunbelt teams take all year to figure out their quarterback controversy. Southern Miss wasn't in the Sunbelt when it happened, but Frank Gore Jr. started for them a few years ago. But I will say, just as a tangent, talking about JMU because they're up on the schedule, uh, not necessarily related to the game or Georgia State's chances, but you know, we talk about, like, is this going to be a team that they're better than the last year, but their record is worse. And I think it's certainly possible for James Madison, not just because of whatever sophomore slump you want to attribute, or if they're like, they got a chip on their shoulder about, or like the chip on the shoulder thing of not being able to go to a bowl isn't as effective in year two, but have you seen their September schedule? I have, and it's not great. It's not a super friendly stretch because they start with Bucknell should be an FCS win I think they could even win against Virginia at Virginia the next week, although it will be the first home game for UVA since the tragedy last November that ended their season early. And so there's going to be a lot of emotion that one. I think it will be a big kind of win for them to, you know, it'll be a big task to get that win in Charlottesville, even if they might have a better team. Uh, And then they go to Troy on September 16th to start conference play. And then they travel to Utah state 
out of conference, which uh, is a solid Mountain West team. They've led up some games that they they lost majorly to Weber State last year, but they've also well, I think won something like ten games in Blake Anderson's first year there. And the travel alone will be brutal for that one. And then they come home and they they host South Alabama. So they not only play the two best teams in the West we expect. They play them in the stretch of three weeks and it's after three straight road trips, one of which is on the other side of the country. So like James Madison's going to have to earn this one this year. Right. And it, you know, it doesn't really get better. Um, I don't think we are as high on Georgia Southern as a lot of other people are, but I know that people expect Marshall to at least push some of the top teams in the Sunbelt East this year. And you might look at that Georgia Southern game after that terrible, uh, relatively hard stretch before it and say, okay, you know, we can just take care of business. But that, I mean, that is the definition of a trap game, especially looking ahead to playing, to going on the road at Marshall the following week on what appears to be a short week. I want to say that that's a short week for them. And I mean, Southern beat them last year. I mean, it was in Statesboro. A lot of it's going to be different. It's going to be a home game for them, but yeah, you're right that it's certainly, especially after a buy, like probably helps them, especially with all the travel. But you never know. And then short weeks are never fun. We should know. Georgia State's got two of them this year. Yeah, I mean, I it's just it's an interesting schedule that really, honestly, never never really relents. Um, there's a if you don't value Georgia State, I suppose you could say that there's a little bit of a stretch there. But, you know, ending hosting app and on the road to Coastal is not fun. And, you know, it it would be very unfortunate for James Madison that, you know, you could argue the rest of the Sun Belt could have caught them in the year that they still weren't eligible to go to, you know, the Sun Belt championship game. Um, but then, I mean, you could also say if they weather that storm early in the season, they are just going to be right there and you know, yeah, their postseason hopes are nothing, but at the same time, though, having a good record and, you know, kind of withstanding that for two years also does mean something. Yeah, I mean, the early November games are going to matter a good bit, I would guess, for Georgia State as far as, like, are they going to go to a bowl game or where their place are for trying to compete for the Semblies. If it's still a chance at that point, then those games are going to matter. It's different with JMU because – you know, they're all fighting for internal things because they can't go to a bowl. They can't technically win the conference. And so only one of the teams has those type of stakes. But as they showed last year, with the same you know math at play, with not being able to win the conference, no matter what their record was, clearly didn't bother them. They were able to win games anyway late in the season. They were playing well, um, absolutely battered the like Grayson McCallis coastal carolina team to kind of cement like a, we think we're the best in the east and like this is how much better we think we are god so it was so funny i'm sorry it was just very funny to watch so i don't think that like the the factor of them not being eligible is really going to matter i think they're going to give a good game and i know i've heard the jmu sports blog guys talk about this i think when we had them on they mentioned it i think when i went on their podcast they mentioned it then as well that they have a really decent Atlanta alumni base and so it's another game where I'm expecting there to be a, a nice road crowd uh, even though Harrisonburg is not particularly close they've got alums who are now in Atlanta as a bunch of schools do Atlanta being what Atlanta is and so 
that's another, you know, a, a good part. And I think it's even as Georgia State has been a tougher sell for some of these new schools as far as like, do they fit the same like traditional raw raw fan base college town model as much as these other schools like Georgia Southern App State that they see a real affinity with? I think that the part that they're able to sell themselves on with Georgia State is that Atlanta is a city that a lot of people close to the program live. And so I think that the the road game every two years is certainly something that they like. And this will be the first time where they're going to be be able to make that trip. And uh, I think we put it off long enough uh, because it's next on the schedule and because it always comes up. I just have gotten tired of kind of agnostic to this conversation about the App State game. I just, it's, it is what it is. You haven't beat them yet. It, it is a big deal. I think for a lot of Georgia state fans that it's still this like big black eye. I, the first thing to mention is that. They're the, worse. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I, like I will, I will say it and I, I won't even do the normal spiel that I always give. Um, there are a lot of questions about this app state team um, and Sean Clark's performance. Um, I, I would not go as far to say that he is on the hot seat. I think calls for that are. I think he is. I, I you personally can say think whether calls... it's warranted or not. I think okay. that absolutely, if they go six and six or worse again, he will absolutely. They'll pony up and they'll pay the buyout and they'll move on because they just don't do six and six up on the mountain. It just it isn't in their nature. They have been championship level. And I, I would absolutely say that. This is a very important year for Sean Clark. An incredibly important year. Um, Last year was very, very weird. You know, you had the highest of highs, you know, but then they they just, they never really looked like a cohesive football team, you know, when they were losing. Um, And it, it wasn't, I wish you could sit there and say it was because of injuries to key players. Like, yes, they had some level of injuries, but I mean, a lot of guys played. Like, this is a team that I mean put me in that damn backfield and I'm going to rush for a thousand yards because that's how good they are at developing running backs and you know they always get enough quarterback play to be good and you know when they when they're zigging and thinking okay we need to run the ball 40 50 60 times that's when they get you know incredible feats of quarterback play to put them over the edge or you know it's the NFL caliber safeties that they have and they just kind of have lost a little bit of that. And and I don't want to say that they are bad because that would be, that would be incorrect. I still think that there is a talented team, but like you say, if this is a very, very interesting app state team. And I mean, we talked about it with coastal, but it's, it's not like their schedule is that great either. Um, it's my, sorry, it's not, we talked about it with James Madison, but it's not like their schedule is that great either. You know, it might not be as bad as James Madison's schedule. Um, but it's a, I mean, it's a pretty tough end of season schedule for, you know, those Mountaineers. It's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty medium out of conference. I can't remember if Wyoming was a a good player last year, but you still have to go across Uh, the country more than anything. Like, right. I think there's they've been at least like middle of the road most of the years that Craig Bowles been there. Obviously, we played them. Obviously, Georgia State played them in the 2019 Arizona Bowl. But if nothing else is you're like with the Utah State game, like the if it's on a neutral field exactly, you know, midway between, I think that you probably like James Madison, you like App State, but you're having to travel basically across the country. 
um, the environs in the mountains maybe won't be a big adjustment for App State because they're used to that. But certainly you're traveling to Wyoming to play this game. And I do wonder, like, big picture, if that's going to be something to look at is like, oh, you, we do we want to schedule this? Because I know Georgia State's entirely gone away from playing on the other side like that. Like at the bowl game, obviously, you can't do anything about that. But after the Oregon trip and the Washington trip, uh, the one thing that Charlie Cobb has done as AD is kind of looked at that and be like, let's play regional P5s. And I think that's been a smart move. And even with this G5 game, I do wonder about it. But the interesting thing with App and Georgia State is because of the coaches, there's already kind of inherent similarities. They're both named Sean. They both played at App State. They're both offensive line coaches before they were head coaches. It's interesting that kind of their off seasons have mirrored each other in similar ways as well, because they have also been heralding, they brought in a new strength staff and they say in a lot of the same things that Georgia state players and coaches are saying about what that has meant to them. They feel they've made better gains than in recent off seasons. There's also a degree of Sean Clark betting on himself and kind of betting on the app mentality and just app people in the same way that Sean Elliott's kind of done the same things after the losing seasons where he brought in Brad Glenn. He brought in strength coaches. He knows this off season where they have to replace both coordinators. They go get Frank Ponce, who has had experience on the staff in the last decade. He went to Miami. He's now come back. Scott Sloan, who was recently the Georgia Southern defensive coordinator under Chad Lunsford. They brought him back as DC. He had been on staff in Boone before he took that job in Statesboro. And so it feels very similar in the sense of like in a season that's make or break. And I guess we can differ on which, you know, depending on if you believe that Sean Elliott's really on any kind of hot seat, no matter how the season goes, that maybe differs, but in kind of make or break seasons, they're both kind of betting on what's gotten them there. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for App State. I do think it's a more gettable game as we sit here now than it has been in any other time we've done this because there feels like a bit of a vulnerability there that hasn't existed. And that's what made App such a scary team for basically everyone in the Sun Belt is it feels like they are always at that peak. And it feels like maybe this year they're not. And you know, we might be sitting here in December being like, well, App State won 10 games. They're certainly back and they, they will have weathered the storm. But I think for a lot of teams, it'll look like a different App State team as they're preparing for the season than in years past. And we're just going to have to see if they have fixed the things that have been, you know, ailing them the last year. Did we just talk ourselves into the Georgia or the Sunbelt East being wide open? Because I feel like we just talked ourselves into that. I think it is. I mean, I don't really know how to, I don't know who I would put as the favorite if you're just counting pure who can win it because Again, if JMU has any kind of quarterback, they showed last year they were good and they didn't really lose enough to make you feel like they aren't going to be that good again. But if you're not counting them as a favorite for the East because they can't win it, I really don't know who I would put in the clubhouse lead because I have you know new coach in Coastal. Um, Southern, I, just feel stink that I still think has steps to take to get to that level where you buy it at this point. You know, Georgia State and Old Dominion have a lot of work for you to be buying into them at any level. And Marshall is kind of there, is kind of, I think they're going to make a bowl. I don't know if they're going to be that good, but we'll find out. So given all of that, like 
I do think it's wide open because I, I just don't know who you would really put here as we sit here on in the middle of August. Like, I, I don't really think that. Go ahead. Like, I, I, have a, I just have a terrible segue uh, because I feel like and I, I thought of this before I realized that they were next on the schedule that Marshall just, Marshall feels this year kind of like an LSU in the SEC type. And what I mean by that is it's definitely a school that has talent historically, but there's always somebody getting in their way. Bama, Georgia, you know, Florida a few, you know, a few years ago. But there are still those years where it's like, okay, yeah, this is still LSU. You're still a school with enough history, you know, to actually win the conference. And I'm not saying it's going to be Marshall, but it just feel like I feel like everything is just setting up for a wild card, if you will, to win the East. Because it, like we said, we can't be James Madison. There's tangible reasons for it to not be coastal, tangible reasons for it to not be App State. You know, we got to see it with Georgia State. We got to see it with Old Dominion, like you said. So, you know, I don't know that I would have Marshall as my field leader today. But, you know, whenever there's not really a consensus, that's when we get chaos. Well, I mean, if you look at the West last year, just to sum out as a whole, Troy, I think you could say, had the best overall unit in the conference, their defense. It was the best defense. Their defense was the best of any unit, I think. And they won the conference. And I I think you could paint yourself a picture where Marshall is that defense this year. And that's what takes them all the way. Now, if the offense doesn't pick it up a couple of gears and they're relying on winning these low scoring or the games that are within a possession, then that's where it gets dicey. And that's where you start losing games that stack up and mean that you don't win your division or win the conference. But I think that is the case you could make as we sit here is like, they have the best defense that gets them a lot of the way to winning all of these games. Cause that's what Troy did a year ago. I don't think that that's too hard of a case to buy, especially in the East um, because it is somewhat wide open. So. There, I, I painted it for you. I, def- I think that LSU is not necessarily a metaphor I'd use for Mark. You know, I wouldn't make that because I think LSU is kind of pushed into that top tier. I know everyone got their family jokes out of the way last year with Brian Kelly. And there was a lot of, I just think just skepticism of like, would this guy work in Baton Rouge? And year one, they beat Bama. They didn't make the playoff, but it didn't feel that far off. And I just think that, Already, he's kind of shown that, like, whatever you think of the guy, and I'm not going to defend, you know, he seems a little bit grumpy at times, for sure, but uh, guy can coach. He's won everywhere he's been, and it seems like already he's translated that to the SEC. And so the benefit of playing this game in November as Georgia State is that it's right near the crux of the season. You know, if LSU is winning the SEC West or in the, the clubhouse lead for it, they're going to want to be rested and have everyone good for Atlanta and the playoff to come if they're in that picture as well. And so kind of like when Georgia State played Clemson in 2014, Clemson was clearly from the start not looking to just run up the score. Game finished 28 nothing. That was not a good Georgia State team. The score could have been double that. Uh, Clemson was not interested. They weren't, especially in the second half, really trying to push it down the field. And that's kind of where you're at in the – penultimate game when you're playing the bye game is that there's a chance that even if you don't play a great game, that it's not going to look as ugly as maybe it could be because the other team is not going to put the foot on their gas. Um, 
The other part of that is that there's other games looming on the horizon for LSU if they're in that situation. And so I, I don't want to say it's a trap game because it probably does Georgia State too much credit to call it a trap game. Just right now, the team coming off four and eight season, that's not a trap game for a team that's going to be everyone in the top 10 for everyone as we look at the preseason. But it's a game where you might cut, might not catch them at their best. And so that's where the the upset can maybe happen. But the spreads, I think, if from what I've already seen, is probably in the high 20s, and I buy that, and they could well cover it. But, I don't, you know, it's a fun trip from everything I hear, and I hope Georgia State fans take it. Um, maybe if Georgia State stacks some wins together in the middle of the year and they're bowl eligible by that point, it feels like a, a good team. There's going to be more bullishness about playing them close, but we can be re- realistic about it and just say, like, this should be a very good LSU team. And even if they don't play their A game, probably they're going to be fine. And that's just kind of the difference between Georgia State and LSU. Yeah, I mean, LSU seems like it'll be fun. Um, and then, you know, lastly, Georgia State has to go on the road after that Death Valley game and they go to ODU, which should be this should be interesting based on where everybody thinks these two teams are uh, ending the season, maybe playing for something, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, playing for something, even in the scenario where neither team is doing well, we'll be playing for not being last in the conference, potentially or last in the East. So always something to play for. Uh, it's a team that they have not been what they wanted to be offensively the last couple of years. And Ricky Ronnie brought in like the offensive coordinator and maybe another coach as well. And the quarterback from Fordham at the FCS level who they run like a kind of crazy high, high scoring offense that really worked at Fordham. I guess the questions is how it's going to translate to uh, the FBS level to the Sun Belt. And again, with some of the other things we've said in this, because these are the final games of the season, by the time Georgia state plays old dominion, everyone will kind of know how it's worked as of now, we're waiting to see those games play out, but, it's a team that you know Georgia State, for, for all their struggles, it was in the stretch of games last year where they handled ODU at home and then went on to hammer Southern Miss on the road. It was the best stretch of games that they played all season. And so having done that a year ago, even though it's on the road, that team, for all their flaws, was able to win by 17 against this ODU team. And so I think you'd look at this as one of the games that whatever they want to do, no matter that it's on the road, they're going to have to chalk up as a win. Kind of the same as like Charlotte in that same little web of like, it's no disrespect to ODU. And I'm sure for the exact same purposes, they say the same about this senior day against Georgia State. They've got to go win this game. It will be, you know, unless either team is at five wins at that point where it's like they win or they don't make a bowl, it might not necessarily be determinative in the you know whether they make a bowl or not but it's one of those games where like if you're stacking up wins and they're at four in the middle of october heading into november it's one you'd kind of look at as like of these games that they have left they have to win this one and maybe steal another one and that's just it that's where it's at this schedule is not easy for our monarch friends um it's very tough, I will say. Um, I don't know. They, they beat VT last year, but it was a home game. And right. the team is going to remember that they lost that game. So 
Like, and they, I remember they beat them. One. Yeah, they beat them because they just had crazy good defense that week. And everybody thought, okay, this might be an ODU team that can make some noise in the Sun Belt. Because I think that was the the week with crazy Sunbelt play um, just all around. And I mean, they struggled to hit 20 points a game after that. Um, Except when they waylaid coastal out of nowhere and just ran the ball all over them and dropped 49. Right. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, this schedule somehow seems tougher than last year's schedule. Um, which is I'm I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that Georgia State's going to walk all over them because that would be unfair to ODU and Georgia State. You know, like I said, for both of these two schools, you really do have to see it. Um, but you know, the thing that really helps ODU is that it's at home. But at the same time, though, we've still seen Georgia State play well on the road, and you know they were able to handle this team last year. And you know, like if if this is a situation where Georgia State is playing for something, I like their chances to rise up and you know get the win that week. Yeah, I think just because of the hierarchy that's kind of been established already and shown in how these two are the bottom two in the East, <laughs> I think each of these programs' success is kind of going to come at the other's expense necessarily, at least right now, just because they both have a point to prove as far as not being where they've been projected in the preseason. And, you know, if Old Dominion is doing better than expected and Georgia State drops a couple, you know, there aren't, you're not expecting James Madison to finish last in the conference. And so just as far as like making sure if the season isn't going as you want, if Old Dominion is doing better, it's like, well, this you're in the cellar by yourself and so it's certainly morbidly i think maybe the, the fans are going to be following each other's programs although also obviously hoping that things do not go as bad as expected also worth saying what james madison was six last year so preseason polls are famously fallible um but if you know, nothing changes it, it does feel a little bit of a dynamic of like this is the team we've got to be better than if no one else. And I mean, like if Georgia state underperforms and that's a, that's a game where there is nothing to play. I think you'll see some changes, Um, whether it be philosophical changes, just guys who are given minutes early in the season. Um, You know, the team that they'll be facing at the end of the year is probably not the team that will be working with Georgia State for most of the year. So, yeah. So, I mean, certainly we saw last year nothing changed except by necessity against Marshall, but uh, it was the first total dead rubber that Georgia State's played in a while. And I am sure that every hope is going to be from fans and from the coaching staff that they're playing in a game 12 that means something again, because it'll at least mean they've gotten back to, all right, we're in the bowl conversation, if nothing else. This has definitely uh, been a weirder exercise than it was last couple of years. Cause I think there was a lot more reason to just look totally optimistically given the trajectory and a four and eight season makes you question just about everything. And that's not even mentioning just the new faces and the old faces that won't be there for Georgia state, but, I don't think it is that hard. And I think next week we'll do kind of a general preview. Might have a guest on uh, that's been on before and like do the whole 
over-unders, win total thing. I think it is really easy to talk yourself into at least a six-win team with the schedule that Georgia State's got. It's also easy to talk you into less because it's a tough schedule. But I, I think there's the opportunity to go bowling at a minimum. And the rest is going to depend on just what type of football team the Georgia State has. And if they're able to take this off-season of uncomfortability and turn it into you know, a height that they have not reached since joining the Sun Belt, that'll be determined by you know, finding that extra gear that they haven't been able to in any season past. But I don't think you look at it as tough as it is, is like an impossible task to have a winning season, a six win season, you know, whatever your lowest bar is. I think that those wins certainly are there just going to take some doing because every year now, the Sunbelt schedule is going to be, you're going to look at it and be like, well, that's not easy. Kind of no matter how the games shake out. I'm going to ask you one, I'm going to ask you to flip one result and I'm going to give you the result I want to flip and ask if it changes your perception on how you feel this Georgia State team is, okay? Charlotte beat Georgia State by one point last year. If Georgia State wins that game, do you does that change how you feel about this team in any way at all? I mean, it's kind of the butterfly effect thing where if they win that game, I don't know if the season goes as badly. I mean, obviously they ended up beating Army a couple weeks later, but I, I'm stomping all over your hypothetical by getting real sciency about it. But like that loss had a real like effect. Like you could tell an immediate post game after that, like that loss shocked them a little. It hit them hard because it was not expected in the same way that you could say, okay, South Carolina and North Carolina are tough games. And so if you reverse it, I think it's possible that you should have a different season because that loss really stunted a lot of the, you know, I won't say momentum because they were 0-2, but like it felt like a real dampener. Uh, But I think that that would be answering your question in earnest and taking removing all of that. If they finished 5-7 and and still had all those other losses, which were not changing for this exercise... I feel like it would just kind of be a footnote and you would focus in on more of like, how did you lose this ULM game at home? And how did you let these second half leads slip away? So I don't know that it would change that much the perception because I think four and eight or five and seven escape against Charlotte. The issue was it was a team that couldn't hold leads in the second half and let too many games that they really had as an opportunity slip away. And if you're just allowing that one flip from a loss to a win, I don't think that that story is much different. I like it. Ask more hypotheticals. I'll try and like take them at their face value more often than I do what I just did and answer them in a different way. I no, no, that was good. I I think I agree. And I and part of why I asked that question because I mean look, we talked about it when the schedule released. You know, this is an out-of-conference slate that is favorable to Georgia State. Any way you slice it, it is favorable to Georgia State. The three teams that they have in the beginning. I mean, even even if, let's say, Georgia State is somehow having their best season ever and playing LSU when they are playing LSU, that is still a favorable game given context. Doesn't mean they'll win it, but it is a favorable game the way that their schedule is. I think if you are as if you are the most optimistic person with Georgia State's schedule, getting three wins in non-conference play is easy. 
finding another three wins on the schedule as a whole, now that we're finished with it, is not terribly difficult either. And I guess that is... I guess that's the frustration I have with this team, kind of. Maybe maybe frustration's not the right word. But it is a hard schedule. You know, getting those other three wins, they absolutely will have to earn it. But based on everything that you said about Coastal, new coach, based on everything you said about Marshall, is the offense actually good enough? You know, look at Louisiana, look at Georgia Southern, App State, is James Madison as good? You know, we just talked about Old Dominion. I think it is really possible to talk yourself into this Georgia State team being a bowl eligible team simply because, yes, there were a lot of coin flip losses last year. And you can't just look at it this year and say, okay, everything is just, you're just going to have to reflip the coin and they'll just turn up heads this time when you need it to. But I mean, I think you can really talk yourself into some sort of Eastern division volatility because I don't know that I see a Titan here. And I guess I would change my mind if I, if James Madison had Centeo back, maybe I would change my mind, but I just, I don't know that I see somebody who's just going to lead the pack this year. And I think that favors Georgia state at least getting to six wins. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it makes it you know the the floor of the team you're playing is very high. Like in the East specifically, you're not really going to play a bad team. Depending on ODU, maybe they are. It's the last game of the year, and we'll know by then. But if there's anyone other than Georgia State who you you'd put as a real potential to just like bottom out in the East, to be Old Dominion. Everyone else on the East who you're guaranteed to play every year, they're at least a respectable competent good team and it's about who maybe is going to be great among them and it's kind of still up in the air and you're going to play them every year and so that's going to be the case every year until someone goes through struggles maybe a coaching change and goes through some kind of rebuild like that's the reality and so the other part of that is like you mentioned maybe the other the ceiling team doesn't ever arise there's not like the, the titan I kind of suspect there will be just because it always works out that way. But right now, as we talked about a little earlier, like we can't forecast it. This is going to be something that's going to have to play out for me. Like I'm willing to not go out on a limb because, you know, and not get able to be able to take credit later because I just really cannot handicap the East. It's going to be really interesting to watch. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the last of our position group previews. Last week's uh, podcast, we talked about wide receivers, cornerbacks, tight ends, and the special teams, which means there's only three groups left. So, gentlemen, have at it. What you got? I think David is up first. and I think this week, unless I play along and help him, he's going to have to pick a defensive unit because there's two defensive units left and just the one offensive unit. Have I really not picked a defensive unit yet? Oh, that's so trash. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah, I even took special teams. I know, you did. Oh, man. All right, I guess outside linebacker. That one should be easy enough. Let's well, see. Uh, for, for the purposes of this, grouping it just as like a cohesive group to talk about, grouping the defensive ends and the defensive tackles and the outside linebackers, just everyone who generally is going to be hand on the ground or up in a, a pass rush position, so we can take them as kind of a larger group there. And 
we'll get into a little bit because we're talking about the safeties and the outside linebackers on this episode kind of fortuitously worked out. There's going to be probably of all of the differences between Nate Fuqua's defense and Chad Stagg's defense. Those are the pinpoint positions that are going to be the biggest difference, even new roles for guys that we're going to see play out. Um, I think you can safely say there's going to be what he calls or did call it coastal, the bandit pass rusher. Um, and that's going to be like your typical outside linebackers, like what Jamil would have been playing if he'd stayed. And it feels like where Shamar McCollum and Kevin Swint are going to slot in as kind of a rotation there. You also got uh, Kansas State transfer, Ozzie Heffler, who didn't really have a lot of time. Ozzie Hoffler didn't have a lot of time on the field at Kansas State. Don't know what the, you know, the, we could really form an opinion on him, but you like the recruiting predator there. And that's just, just to say that, like, if that's the group at that one outside linebacker position, you've, I feel like you have a reason to trust it because all of them have come from P5s. You know, we've seen Shamar McCollum just co- kind of quietly make noise and quietly be like, oh, he's got another sack. He's got another tackle for loss. He had the big, part in the goal line stand against army that ended up basically winning that game. Kevin Swint, we only really saw briefly in spring, but a lot of good reports and he feels like he's going to slot in to be productive and maybe Hoffler's a little bit further off, maybe playing behind those guys, but of any position on the team, just those three guys being the, the position group, basically all coming from formerly power conference team. I don't think there's a more like talented across the board room when you're just looking at blue chip. And it's going to be the most important position on the defense, probably because of, like you said, utilizing different coverages and the ability to get after the quarterback, but also the ability to be in coverage. You know, I think Georgia state was at their best of the past few years when they were able to rush with, you know, one, two guys, but then have the other outside one, linebacker extra. drop back. One, yes, one, <laughs> two extra one guys. Answer. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. One, two extra guys, not, you know. Um, and <laughs> That was good. What a mistake on my part. Um, I, I do not think that Georgia State would have been the most effective rushing one person. <laughs> I, I just, I would refuse to believe I would refute that entirely. That was their best defense. Hey man, you've heard of quarters. Boy, I've got a lovely what drop nine <laughs> coverage for you drop for ten. sixty minutes. Um, no, but I, I think the the best defenses and the best series that Georgia State have played is when they've been able to find ways to cover on the back end, but still bring pressure. Um, and you know, last year they were able to they were able to blitz a little bit more, but the in years prior they started to really get success with the few guys that they brought, and that was because they would always have one star outside linebacker. And you know, Shakar Mc, Shamar McCullum is certainly an interesting player because he kind of came over um to Georgia State and started off really slow, but really took he really took off by the end of last year. And given the recruiting that Georgia State has had since then, you really kind of feel confidence in their ability to get after the quarterback from the linebacker position. You know, I think I think I'm a little more worried about the guys with the hand down and on the line just because 
you know, they lost a lot of talent, admittedly. Um, just to transfer portal to seniors. Um, that side of the ball, certainly that, that position group certainly will need to show that they can adequately get after the quarterback. Because I think when the defensive line was at its best, it allowed the linebackers to be at their best. If that makes sense, like the two kind of fed off of each other in years past. So when you, you know, when you had opposing pass protection to focus on the outside part of the line that was when the interior linemen got through and when they focused on the inside that was when the outside linemen were able to get to the quarterback or get to the you know running backs in the backfield so you know both of those groups will need to work together and it'll be interesting to see how the actual guys with the hand down perform throughout the season so i don't know if it's just like trusting based on the results they've gotten the last couple years just sheer output. I kind of buy the defensive line kind of working. I think Javon Dennis is another guy that went a little under the radar and will stop doing so because he is going to be, I think the biggest productive guy on the defensive line this year, stepping up for a bigger role, especially with the loss of guys like Jeff Clark and uh, Thomas Gore. They brought in from Louisville, they got Henry Bryant and Ricardo Williams from the JUCO ranks to play a, a defensive ta- or the the nose guard, um, and I you know with that you feel like collectively they're going to put out good play up the middle. It it is hard to say if they're going to replace a guy like Thomas Gore because he did so much hard work down there and like he is going to be a loss and you have to you know, acknowledge that he was a really good player that did a lot of the dirty work uh, up the middle and demanded some double teams that made other guys' job is easier on the outside, but you brought in two guys there. I think you just kind of have to pencil in as like, they're going to be useful up the middle. And, you know, um, Akeem Smith was the, the backup there. He was also pretty reliable and he's now at Sam Houston. And so you're kind of losing all of what you had up the middle depth wise, but they replaced it. And so you're just kind of have to lean on that to be the answer. As far as like what you're talking about with blitzing, I think there's no, qualms about it that this is going to be a more aggressive defense I mean it's been all of the words that you've heard from coach Elliott that's what he's wanted that's why he went out and got Chad Staggs but even beyond that just looking at what Coastal's defense has done in the past like they run some crazy stuff (laughs) and so I think you're going to see blitzing from all levels and I think that is going to help out the defensive line that you're going to have as long as they're doing their job there's going to be plays where guys coming from a different level that's going to help them get after the passer and certainly I expect that to be a heavy part of just kind of keeping the offense off balance and throwing them different looks. And it's something that Darren Granger talked about when I asked him at practice about going up against this new defense that is now the Georgia state defense. And he was talking about how he said multiple, which is the big word that every college coach uses to describe their defense when it can't be what everyone is doing. It's kind of like the, the cliche, but, he did like that it made them go through basically every read they're going to have to go through in the season. And I thought that was really interesting and certainly a change from the Fuquay defense that was very much running it out of the base, not being that exotic with the blitzes, relying a lot on stunts on the inside, um, on the defensive line, a lot more pressure from other areas and, That'll definitely help out the defensive line and maybe make the storyline of the guys they lost less important, but not insignificant. You still are going to have to have a couple of guys that haven't really contributed to Georgia State 
make some plays to where you feel like, all right, that's the guy who's going to get some more sacks that Jeff Clark was leaving there, you know, Thomas Gore up the middle. And so I think there's a little tentativeness, but I think the guys they've brought in uh, over the last couple of years and the success they've had makes me feel a little bit decent about that. Like, I just kind of like they've earned a little bit of a reputation to say they're going to find guys, especially with having some more help with some more exotic defenses, maybe distracting the offense more, if you will. We have been literally asking for this for years, so it's nice. Uh, I'm I'm excited for defensive coordinator stags. So, you know, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a couple of times, maybe not this bluntly on the podcast, but because of all they're saying about what Mike Sirianni, the new strength coach, has done as far as bringing new attitude and all of that, and what the differences are going to be, whether it works or not, with Chad Stags as defensive coordinator, I think it is simply at as simple as the two S's are going to be the determining factors in this season. Like if this defensive coordinator and strength coach changes matter in the way that they're saying, this is going to be a different team, certainly not a team that's going to go four and eight. And so it's just going to be the most fascinating thing to watch as the season gets going to see this new defense. And it really will be the first new defense that we've seen since Georgia state hired Sean Elliott, because he's had, Nate Fuqua running his stuff the entire time before now. Well, I will uh, leave the door open for you to have another offense because it feels like it makes more sense to take this to the safeties now because you're just talking about kind of the new looks and it's the other position where there's going to be kind of a new role because in his old defensive coastal, Coach Staggs used what he called a spur, just kind of like a hybrid between outside linebacker and safety Fuqua's defense had something kind of similar, but it feels like a level beyond that. And it feels like possibly a role that guys in the safety room are going to maybe more feature at. And I'm interested to see when we see the first depth chart, how it's designated, if it's designated, if there's just like another, if it's just part of a safety depth chart, whatever, um, who is on it, because it does feel like an opportunity to have a guy who hasn't featured as much, find a new role, play a little bit more and press the new DC. But, I mean, we can't really touch on the safety room without just addressing that I think they suffered the biggest loss with Antavius Lane going to UNC because we said it when he was here. I just don't think the Georgia State had quite a defensive player like Hitstick before in the way that he just found his way around the ball. He was forcing turnovers, relentlessly played against the run, came down in the box hard, and offenses in the Sun Belt knew 34 is and to watch him on every play. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very tough position to replace. Um, you know, even when he was off, you could really just tell that there was a guy in the middle of the field that teams wanted to avoid. Um, and, you know, maybe that guy is still on Georgia State. You know, I think we've seen <laughs> Jalen Tate made some plays last year, maybe not in the same vein as, you know, Aunt Lane did, but you, you know, you definitely not saw the same his... clip, but certainly he has made his presence felt where you saw that, like, a, he could be a guy, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I think everybody else looking at the depth chart, you're really not sure what you have. Um, 
which, which, you know, that sucks obviously for a season preview, but I mean, that kind of hints at the reality of this team and the reality of the defense. You know, we talked about it most of the off season where, you know, in theory, a lot of the transfers are good, but you know, until they get, actual game tape and until you know you see kind of how they get worked into a new defensive scheme and in a new you know defensive coordinator it's just kind of okay here are some measurables and you know maybe this guy fits and maybe this guy sticks somewhere it's kind of the same with cornerback where literally down to the fcs lee they got him from taiji leach this comes from lehigh gavin pringle at cornerback came from bucknell and like the simplest Occam's razor is Leach comes in and takes the starting spot. And he's a three-time first team All-Patriot guy at Lehigh. Uh, not nearly the same turnover clip. He only had two interceptions in his career um, for the Mountain Hawks out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Just dropping all of that stuff on. Uh, but I think it's believable that he could be productive. You know, maybe you're not getting, it's kind of the same with Thomas score. Maybe you're not replacing him, but you're getting a guy that's giving you good reps. He's not making mistakes, uh, which the secondary is going to get, like we talked about with the corners, like there might be some one-on-ones that they're going to have to just not lose badly and give up big chunk plays on. Uh, but that's certainly if Tate and Leach are the starters, that's the simplest because it's the guy that you've seen the most of other than who left. Uh, and the guy you brought in to replace him. You're the guy you brought in to replace Lane. Beyond that, there are a handful of guys that are underclassmen at safety that just we haven't seen hardly anything of. And part of that was that Lane was such a presence. It was taking all those reps. And you know, part of it is also that it's a new DC. Maybe something that Stag sees in some of the guys that haven't played is there and you'll see someone surprised in the depth chart. I, I certainly would not rule out seeing someone like a, freshman next to their name or redshirt freshman or sophomore showing up in a major way because the opportunity is there. We'll wait and see. Um, certainly interested to see how it plays out, especially as regards that spur position, just always new terminology gets you excited for like what new is going to be about this defense. And that feels like the most obvious place where something is just going to be very different. And maybe a guy that you're going to rely on, at times to be like the sixth rusher and like a crazy blitz, but also is going to have to possibly drop back and kind of play like what a safety would cover defensively and uh, drop back. This is where I tee up the last one. We talk about the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, I think we have finally made it to where you can only pick an offensive team (laughs) again. So, and it it feels fitting to finish with the offensive line, given the head coach and, it is very much the DNA of this team. It does feel fitting line. and it feels even more fitting because you are the only one with the, you know, actual eyes on a, on a, a group that has so much importance and has some stability, but you know, there's definitely some pieces that'll, you know, kind of shuffle around, um, you know, Travis Glover is back. We knew that one. Montavious Cunningham is also there. You know, those are the tackles. feel like I should mention them first. Um, and then, you know, what, who else is on the offensive line that's, you know, well, a guy that you could say. In transfers. Yeah. To, to it, say, it, they they bring like, in Titan Ferris out of Central Michigan, Lamar Robinson out of Norfolk State, who I feel like, 
I don't think it was immediately solid whether he was going to stay stay at tackle or move inside. I feel like it's probable that he's going to stay. He could still be in play at that right tackle spot for sure. Um, but I think the answer is they did get guys in the portal and that there are a few guys that have not been at Georgia State who will feature for sure. Yeah, right. Because you, you had issues last year with depth, so you needed to go in and grab guys that you felt could start. The first couple of death charts will be certainly interesting because there's the offensive line is easily the part of the the part of the team where I don't really know who's going to play, but I I have the most trust. It like Coach Elliott could probably find somebody off the street who looked big and could figure out his way in playing Division One Sun Belt offensive line, you know, and. and it was a very jumbled way of saying I just I have so much trust in them developing that specific side of the ball. Even last year, when it felt like they were just kind of ragtagging due to you know some of the injuries, I mean, it was still a team that led the conference in rushing. And we talked about how there was so much more that the rushing attack could have given because there were a lot of stuff. So, and the, you know, they weren't great in short down and distances sometimes. Um. Yeah, it's it's weird looking at this group and not kind of having a ton of solid starters. But you know, when they roll out that first offensive line when they play in their first game, it's going to make a lot of sense, and it's probably going to be guys who are going to you know maybe not have the level of chemistry that's been there the last couple of years, but you know they'll find a way to figure it out as the season goes on. Kind of the same thing with Antavius Lane at safety. When you have two guys like Pat Bartlett and Malik Sumter who are just plug and play, they're starting at two positions on the interior. Necessarily, that means that there's just not reps to go around for other guys, even if they've been here a few years. So I think this is a good opportunity for, in addition to the guys they brought in like Ferris and Robinson, guys that have been here for a few years, like your Jonathan Browns, that are going to suddenly have actual reps up for grabs up the middle in the interior of the offensive line. And so it's been an area that they've built some depth in just through guys they've added as freshmen and kind of let develop. And that's still the case. And like you say, it's worked out so far for the most part, where even last year where the numbers were good, it was kind of like when you looked at it, it didn't feel like it was as good as it's been in the past. I think there's reason to trust there's also a reason that you have to believe that it's better because so much is predicated on the offensive line being consistent and, you know, Trey Barnett and Seth page and uh, Destin Coates, obviously, and Dan Ellington got the big headlines in 2019 when that offense was just humming. But I mean, some of the holes they were running through on those big chunk plays were just absurd. And it was the offensive line that was the motor of that offense when they were really, really chugging it. Certainly the case again, 2021 when the offense got going uh i think pass pros probably where you're looking for a little more stability and just less yeah get not less more giving darren time <laughs> because there were some times where he, especially down the stretch when they were really having to shuffle where just the pass rushes of good defenses were teeing off and so you've got to at least level that off and get back to not it being a liability as it maybe was a couple of times in 2022 but like you say i think you can buy that the offense line is going to be better um certainly it's going to have to be 
and it might not be something other than sacks where it really shows up in the stats. Maybe you're going to get a little bit more points because you're staying on the field longer. Maybe yards per game will take up a little bit, but it might be more of an eye testing again, where it's like, yeah, that looks like a Georgia state offensive line again, but it felt a little bit in the wilderness in 2022. Some of that was injury. Some of that wasn't. Um, And I think you're going to want to see a return to like it meeting your expectations for when you're just watching it happen. And uh, the, I guess the other thing to say is feels like Avery Reese is going to be center. Um, he was backup center last year, and I'm taking the clue of he was made available to me as a player representative after practice uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it felt like a clue that he was maybe leading the way at center, talking about moving, kind of staying full-time at center. He joked that uh, his favorite part was that he had to run less than when he played tight end. Um, but I took that mostly jokingly. I think he also obviously has bulked up and, ready to play the offensive line and a guy that came in as a well-regarded recruit hasn't really had a stable offering of playing time. So I'm interested if he is kind of set at center, how much it helps to just have all these first team reps as opposed to being behind Malik Sumter. And then when you have to play, you're not really having a whole lot of time in practice. Uh, certainly going to be interested to see how all of that shakes out. I, like I said, I think it's the most important group on the team because it's really going to dictate how much the defense is on the field and how much the offense is scoring. It's why every coach is always agonizing most about offensive line because it just matters so, so much. And I guess in with all of the things that are up in the air with this team, the fact that you have a head coach who has put out good offensive lines before comes from that background. At least you can talk yourself into things getting better in 2023. Yeah, and I mean, they need to. They need to improve this. They need to find the little ways that they weren't doing last year and the the small things. Because, I mean, look, the Sun Belt might be better. Georgia State could be better, and the Sun Belt being better won't really matter. You know, they Georgia State could find a way to be around in the conversation if they clean up a couple of things and you know get some luck and i think the best way to have luck work in your favor is when if you really have a good game plan and you just allow your talent to you know be the talent so you know finding ways to give darren more time finding ways to be even better in the running game those are things that'll help georgia state be a better team and you know reach some of those goals that you know they wanted to reach the last couple of years and probably saying something pretty obvious here, but if the strength coach change does make a difference, it will be most obvious on the offensive line. Like that will be the area that you definitely expect to see the gains and just the changing conditioning really, really matter, especially as things progress into October, November, because that's when we started to really see the offensive line just kind of run out of gas. All right, that's all we got for you this week. Uh, that is the conclusion of our gut checks for all the games this season and all of our position previews as well. Uh, like Brady said, we'll have more stuff next week as we approach the opening of football season. But before we get there, don't forget about the open football practice at Center Park Stadium on Friday night. Uh, gates open for that at 6 p.m. Uh, football team taking the field approximately 6.30 for a scrimmage, lasting until about 8 o'clock. And then afterwards, the, they're going to show another movie out on the field so if you want to be a part of that make sure you go check that out uh, Brady will be there with all of the action from the scrimmage and report on that next week as well but until then have a fantastic rest of your week and go Panthers <laughs>